This episode of On The Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles Curbside Pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles On The Beach show, and it's going to be a really cool show. We've got Peter Burns joining us from SEC Network and ESPN. Peter does outstanding work, and uh, his commentary is just fantastic. I always enjoy having him on. There is a lot to talk about. Georgia, Georgia Tech, Saturday night, Atlanta, right? Not noon. Had a lot of people tell me, man, this messed my whole weekend up. I had plans Saturday night. Everybody knows that game's at noon. Well, not anymore. These Yellow Jackets are going bowling. Brent Key has improved this team from one year to the next. It's a different Georgia Tech team. And Kirby Smart told his players that, right? Javon Bullard told us that. that, that he said, hey, Coach Smart told us this, this is not the same Georgia Tech team that we've seen in last year's was pretty doggone salty for the first half, believe it or not. Tech actually outgained Georgia the first 30 minutes in Sanford Stadium and led the game at the end of the first quarter. I think they were the only team to do that, or the first team to do that last season. Now, this season, a little bit different. Let's go ahead and recap what happened on Rocky Top when Tennessee came out and broke a 75-yard run on the first play from scrimmage, and that place exploded. Like, I'm thinking to myself, this is it. This this is the first ingredient of what it would take is that explosive play to get the stadium rocking, to get the Tennessee sideline believing. But Georgia did a nice job answering. And Kirby Smart's confidence in Peyton Woodring was huge. I, I remember what was it, fourth and five, fourth and six, and, and he's they elected to kick a 42-yard field goal. As loud as that was, I'm thinking, this is confidence. This is confidence in your kicker. Now, I know he hadn't missed a kick, I think, since the South Carolina game. This kid put it right through the uprights. You know, I want to say it silenced the crowd, took it down a few decibels. That was a clutch kick. That was a big-time kick from Peyton Woodring. And that was Kirby Smart telling him, hey, I believe in you. And there's a value to that that goes well beyond the three points on the scoreboard. And it's telling his offense, hey, I believe in you. We're going to be back down on this end of the field. We're not panicking here. Don't need to go for a fourth and five, fourth and six. We're going to be on this side of the field again. And I thought Georgia really dialed in on defense, made those adjustments, and Tennessee scored three points the rest of the day. The rest of the day at home, a Josh Heupel offense managed only three points on Georgia in Neyland Stadium. After that first play, give him credit for that first play, but I think there was about 203, 205 yards of total offense after that dynamic first play. And then the Georgia offense kicked it up a notch, right? After that field goal driving, Carson looked a little shaky. There was an interception uh, that got called back because of a defensive hold. He fired high on a throw. You know, he, he wasn't as dialed in at the start of the game as he got as the game progressed. And we saw three first quarter touch, or excuse me, first half touchdown drives. The trick play, how about that for Dylan Bell? Pitch it to Dylan Bell. He lobbed wide open in the end zone. I'm thinking, man, Mike Bobo, right? Mike Bobo is having a year. And earlier today, he was named one of the semifinalists for the Broyles Award, which goes to the best offensive assistant in the nation. Now, Alabama's offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese, was also on that list. And I kind of rolled my eyes. Because to me, he lost that award with the bad coaching job he did against Texas in September. I, I still don't know how Alabama forgave him for that. I mean, Jalen Milrow 
well, I digress. We'll talk plenty about Alabama later in the show and, uh, you know, all, all the good things and the bad things and all that. But point is, Mike Bobo was dialed in. Carson Beck was throwing that ball with authority. Some of the balls he put on guys, you know, almost hit them in the face mask as they're turning around. There was so much velocity. Look, he looks like an NFL quarterback. If I had to guess, I'd say he's going pro. I don't know that he is. I don't have any sourcing on that whatsoever. I don't even have a scout in my ear telling me that. I just know what my eyes tell me. And I'm watching a guy with a rifle arm who's coming into his own. When he runs the ball, even he runs with authority. Doesn't he look faster to you? I mean, when he takes off running, I see the athlete. You know, early in the year, I was like, oh, man, that, that's really ugly. Like, does this guy got any running skills? And it's like all of a sudden – a switch has been flipped and when Carson runs, he looks dangerous. He doesn't just look adequate. He looks like he can be dangerous and kudos to him for knowing when to run. He really picks his spots. Well, I mean, there's a few things about Carson Beck that make him elite. Okay. Number one is the processor in him. Now I haven't got him on the clock yet with a Rubik's cube. We've talked about him solving it under a minute. I'm sure at some point he'll do that on camera. Right. But this guy is such a fast processor, and it's an ability to see patterns, right? He sees things that we don't see. He recognizes things that the naked eye can't see, right? It's like NASCAR and Dale Earnhardt seeing air, right? This guy has an incredible fast processor between the ear holes, and, and that is so big. Quarterbacks have to think in windows, right? When you're watching that primary receiver, and he's covered. When you shift, you have to already have an idea of where that next receiver's at. Like in your brain, you know, it, it's almost like lining up a three point shot and it's not there. And if somebody could move you somewhere else on a basketball court, now you got to hit from this distance and adjust your your skills, right? Your coordinate your coordination and your skills. And Carson's got that. Carson is able to go through his progressions quickly and still make incredibly accurate throws. I mean, think how much is involved in this. And, and all this while there's bodies flying around you, while you're hearing, you're hearing pressure coming, you're feeling pressure coming behind. There's a guy diving at your feet, right? The, the crowd's exploding, right? A referee just ran in front of you. And, and, you know, there's so much going on. And for a quarterback to be able to process, number one, process, number two, have the arm talent to make those throws. Carson Beck has NFL arm talent. We've known that from the beginning. Carson Beck has a fast processor. We've known that from the beginning, right? But what about the heartbeat? What about the poise? Right? What about the control? This is what's been getting built up over the years in practice while he's been waiting for the opportunity. And he's ready, folks. Right now, Carson Beck looks like a national championship quarterback. It's just a matter of the rest of this team coming in around him. People said, well, man, why do you think Carson looks so much better? I said, well, his offensive line's protecting better. He's got guys getting open that weren't getting open before. Those are a couple things. And then number three, the confidence has come with that. You know, he's able to anticipate more. He can trust his receivers to be where they're supposed to be. That, that wasn't necessarily the case earlier this year. Guys weren't running the right routes. Because, oh, man, Carson missed that guy deep. No, he didn't. That guy bent in when he was supposed to keep going straight, right? So, but now that he's got guys out there and, and he's able to see those windows, like I said, he's looking at receiver one, but in his brain, he's got windows for two and three in his brain where one closes down 
And he shifts. He already knows what he's going to see, and he's already in the motion to throw, right? So what we're seeing from Carson Beck is, is really breakthrough stuff. You, you've seen a guy go from being a very good college prospect to an NFL quarterback right before your eyes. As for the decision to come back or not, that's a business decision. That's a business decision for him and for his family. Uh, he has to look at who else is coming back at Georgia. McConkie's probably coming. McConkie will be gone. Bauer's likely gone. Uh, don't you know? I don't know about Ra Ra or Love it. I would think they're coming back. They, goodness knows they've got a ways to go. But you're losing two of your top targets. You're losing, uh, you know, a couple. Of, you're losing your your center. You're losing Tate Ratledge, right? Those are the arguments to say okay. Um, but then there could be something in him, right? You know, if Georgia doesn't accomplish the goals, uh, if he hears from someone, you know, hey, you know, this is a really good quarterback class and you'd be the number three or number four quarterback. And if you come back, the, the, you know, you could be a Heisman guy and you could move up to number one. There's a lot left to be determined. I just think right now he looks like an, he's got that option. If Carson Beck wants to go to the NFL, he could be in a camp competing for a job next year, not, not as a backup. He wouldn't be getting drafted to be a backup, okay? Somebody's going to draft this guy to be a starter, and that means he'll go in the first two rounds if he goes. But I don't know that he's going. So enough talk about what ifs. Uh, just want to compliment Carson on his progress. Amazing. Uh, let's get to Lad McConkie, all right? Let, here's the deal. Lad didn't practice much at all last week. It wasn't until later in the week, and he didn't go a lot, okay? That ankle that he injured against Old Miss was bothering him all week. He was a captain for this game. He tried to play. The ankle wasn't there. He couldn't do Lad McConkey things. And if Lad can't cut and Lad can't plant and explode, then that's just not a version of Lad McConkey that needs to be on the field. Tate Ratledge, best case scenario from the sounds of it, bumped knees. Uh, Kirby made it sound like he didn't sound like he was going to miss any time. So really good, good news on the status of Tate Ratledge. Also said he thought Brock Bowers was just sore. You know, Brock has been practicing, but when he's practicing, he's not getting tackled, which means he doesn't have the force of 300, 400 pounds of guys tackling him, bringing him to the ground. In the game, that's happening. It's putting more stress on the ankle. So he feels it more, right? There, there's no setback beyond that from what Kirby said. Just a guy who's really sore. Um, another really good start for C.J. Allen. Another, th this kid has come on at the Mike linebacker in a way that I could not have anticipated. I'm going to be honest. When when Jamon Dumas Johnson went down the injury with the forum, I just thought, oh boy, this is, mm, oh, this is not good, right? This is this is your emotional leader, right? And and all I, I had flashbacks to when Jordan Davis suffered the elbow injury against Kentucky in 2020. Remember that? Uh, they beat Kentucky like 13-3 on the road, but but J.D. hurts his elbow. Um, I think he had to have a surgical procedure. That night, Richie LeCount crashes the motorcycle on Halloween night, and now he's out for the you know pretty much all intents and purposes this season. I know he came back and played a few snaps, but he wasn't the same guy. Wasn't playing like the All-American he was. Remember, he just had like a 13-tackle game in Kentucky that day. and that, And then they played Florida and lost. And, and I still to this day say, you know what, you shouldn't play the what-if game, but I do. But if J.D.'s not hurt, if LeCount's not hurt, they'd probably beat Florida, right? And then maybe they beat Alabama with J.T. Daniels if in the second chance game. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe not. It just But injuries do happen. They're put football. And when they happen, teams, they're, they're not as good. There's a reason why that guy was the starter, right? There's a reason why Jamon Dumas-Johnson was the starting middle linebacker, right? So – it was a lot to ask of C.J. Allen to come in and play as well as he's played. And he played really well. He had nine, what, nine tackles. Uh, I want to say he led the team with nine tackles against Ole Miss. 
Uh, I think the game before, I want to say it was CJ that flushed Brady Cook out of the pocket with it before the stack house uh, pick. You know, but Kirby said, yeah, well, he's also the reason we were on the field on the first drive against Ole Miss. He had a bus, blah, blah, blah. This is what happens with freshmen. Nobody works harder than this guy. Nobody takes more notes. But he's a freshman. He's more prone to, to miss an assignment because of the lack of experience. Now, every game, this guy gets better and better and better. He's learning so fast. Um, you know, there's no reason for JDJ to try to go with one arm or with a bad forearm. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that moves forward uh, in the postseason. Uh, but CJ Allen looks like the real deal to me. That that, that emergence has just been huge. Um, Oscar Delp was in the room today. You know, Oscar had the drop. Yes, he had the drop. But Oscar is is doing some things with his blocking right now that are really making a difference. He, yes, he catches a few balls, and and we saw him make an incredible one-handed catch. He's got a few touchdowns. Yeah, everybody, uh, everybody digs the touchdown and the receptions. But that tight end job is so important in many other in many other facets, and blocking is one of them. And Oscar Delp is bringing an edge with his blocking. He is bringing something to the table um, that's very important in the run game. Uh, setting up things for other receivers. Uh, really, really pleased, and I'm sure Kirby smarted as well. He wouldn't have sent him to talk to the media Monday if he wasn't pleased with Oscar. That tells you everything you need to know with who Kirby sends to those interviews. He ain't sending guys out there that are struggling um, or guys that aren't playing well or, or, or don't deserve to talk to the media or can't handle the moment or send the right message. He sent Javon Bullard out there. And it's interesting. People always ask, you know, when you're a sports writer, well, who's your favorite? Who's your team? And I always tell them the same thing. Look, it's not about the teams. It's about the players. You meet certain players or coaches or people, and you want to see good things happen for them, right? I don't mind telling you, Javon Bullard is one of my favorite players. And is it's not just because of the way he plays. You know, he's ferocious. I love the guy's quotes. I love the guy's mindset. I love the joy that he gets out of football. And when he talks about football, how much energy and enthusiasm and fun he has. And he gave a presentation um, today that I thought was fantastic. And I asked him about the slow starts, about trailing seven out of the eight SEC games. I said, does that kind of keep you humble? Does that kind of keep you guys grounded? And, you know, because Kirby always talks about complacency being the enemy. Well, how can you be complacent when you've trailed in seven out of eight SEC games and given up opening drive touchdown? You know there's more to go. And, and, and Javon basically said, hey, we hear you. We're on, upset alert. We're on upset alert every week. We hear what people are saying. Like, they get it. You know, they're playing the game. I, I, I like that, that the player embraces and understands what's happening here. Yes, Georgia does have a chance to win three straight. No, they're really not supposed to. I know the fans think, oh, they're the dogs. They're the greatest. They roll it out there. They win just because. That's not real. If there's a reason why teams haven't done it before. You're not supposed to three-peat in college football, especially when there's a transfer portal and all these NIL inducements buzzing around to lure your best players away. Instead of playing for Georgia and waiting your turn like Carson Beck did, hey, come transfer and play over here right away. But somehow Georgia and Kirby – have found a way to beat the odds. And to me, that's a fantastic story. It takes guys like Javon Bullard, though, in the huddle to say, hey, we're on upset alert every week. Hey, we've got room to get better. Guys, let's play for each other. you got to have that voice of wisdom. you got to have those players 
that understand the importance of the narrative, that psychological approach is everything. Because right now you would think, man, this is 28 games. I know fans are like, oh, my God, they've won 28. Oh, I'm breathless. This is so hard. No, the players aren't. Players are like, dude, we got a game this week. Let's go out and let's go out and play ball. Let's have fun. Let's get after it. Let's go hunt, right? They have stayed fresh. Their mentality, because of guys like Javon Bullard, right? So, uh, yes, Javon Bullard is without a doubt uh, one of the favorite players that I've covered. Early setback in his career. I remember interviewing him about that at the SEC championship game. That young man could have you no know, commented, could have turned away. He looked me dead in the eye. He said, You make mistakes, you learn from them. And I just said, man, that's that's accountability. That 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 guy's gonna make it, right? That guy that steps up and takes accountability and moves on, that's what it takes. Not the guys that hide for the interviews, right? Not the guys that don't want to talk to people. Was at USC quarter, they didn't want to talk to anybody after losing to UC. Oh, well, let's let's not upset the future number one. Is, think that's the guy you want directing your team someday? Can't come out of the locker room to talk about a loss. On behalf of his team, when he, you know, you know, you see what I'm saying. So there's a psychology to this, right? The Georgia guys have the right psychology. Kirby teaches them to be accountable, and Javon Bullard is a guy who's grown right before our eyes. He's lined up next to probably one of the most gifted players, by the way. Another guy that you can't help but like, who I asked Kirby Smart about today, and that's Malachi Starks. And Kirby, there's not much this guy can't do. And Malachi continues to get better and better and better. And his ability to tackle, his ability to cover, this, this enables that Georgia secondary to do so many different things. It's it's kind of one of those hidden secrets, right? Like everybody's got 11 guys. Everybody's got X's and O's. Everybody's got schemes, right? But but the Jimmys and the Joes aren't the same at Georgia. You, you got some special guys that can do special things. Brock Bowers can line up as a running back, a tight end. He can block. He can run away from you. He can go short and run over you, right? Malachi Starks, he can tackle. He can cover. He knows his defenses. He, you know, he can call things. I mean, he's grown so much. When you've got dude C.J. Allen, this guy's a freshman playing like a fifth-year senior because Kirby said these guys aren't normal. You know, him and Raylan, they take notes. They're not. He goes, these guys are normal freshmen. You know, their maturity. So the culture that Kirby's created, when we talk about culture, it's it players like this that make up the culture. These players are, are the pillars and the backbone, backbone of that culture. Anybody can put sayings on the wall and tell everybody, okay, we're going to say this three times. I will play for my team. No, that's not how it happens. You don't just put signs up. You don't just put the message in the manual. You don't just have a coach get in front of a room and give a hell of a pregame speech, okay? It takes real people. It takes players and teammates to enforce these ideals and these levels of accountability. And that's the magic. That's the magic is that Kirby builds his roster and these players develop and learn from the players ahead of them. You always hear him say, well, you know, you got to give this coach time to bring his players in and build his culture. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is what's happened. These are Kirby guys. We are seeing the Kirby smart culture, which is basically a new and improved Alabama. A lot of this happened at Alabama. Kirby won four national championships there is the best, best recruiter and the defensive coordinator. I think there's an argument to be made now that Kirby smart had a lot more to do with those national championships than maybe people gave him credit for. I don't, Alabama fans don't want to hear that. Right. But you look at what Kirby's done at Georgia. 
Alabama's defenses don't look the same. Now we're going to have a chance for these teams to settle it. And uh, here, here, just in a couple of weeks, first things first, Georgia Tech. And listen, everybody probably remembers that when Brent Key was named the interim, I was the one standing on top of the box going, hire this guy. There's nothing else to think about. This is your guy. This is your Kirby Smart. This is your former All-ACC offensive lineman, your former team captain. This guy has coached in Nick Saban's system. He was on the Alabama coaching staff. This guy's beaten Georgia as a player. He gets it. All right. And I know, you know, he's not one up to, you know, stand up there and, and, uh, you know, pontificate and, and, and give the most complicated post game media inter. That's not Brett Key. Brett Key is a player's coach. Okay. This guy's a really good coach and he's done some really good things there in a short amount of time. Some Georgia fans are excited about, oh, I want to see that robbery game. I'm just like, guys. How about it? You love this rivalry so much. If it was me, I'd want to roll over the, the easiest team possible the week before the SEC championship game. But other people have a different point of view on that. And I respect that and I accept that. Uh, and, and this guy's going to give you the game you want. Okay. Brent Key, uh, Georgia Tech's going to be ready. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia. Of course not. They're a three touchdown underdog. But do I think they're going to play tough? I do. Do I think the Georgia players are going to feel it the next day? I do. And the only consolation you can take is that you know Alabama's playing Auburn that same Saturday at Auburn. So the tide's got to go through a little bit too this Saturday. But yeah, Brent Key, uh, Buster Faulkner, you remember he was at Georgia. He was the go-between between Todd Munkin and Stetson Bennett when Stetson told us that he butted heads with Munkin. So he would talk to Faulkner on game day because that way him and Munkin wouldn't clash. And, and that was kind of Buster's job. And Buster, beyond that, did a really nice job helping Stet develop um, you know, into a Heisman Trophy finalist last year. And, of course, Kevin Shear was on Kirby Smart's, Kirby Smart staff at one point. And then he got a coordinator job uh, up at Tennessee. And now this year he was promoted to coordinator. And so uh, there's a lot of familiarity over there. Don Blaylock, Brett Seether, a couple former dogs on that team. Um, this, this is going to be a really good battle in Atlanta on Saturday night at 7.30. Of course, I mentioned Alabama-Auburn, and we all saw that Auburn got absolutely humiliated by New Mexico State. I'm going to ask Peter Burns about that. I'm going to ask Kirby, I'm going to ask him about Kirby Smart. You know, 28 straight wins right now. If the next one he wins will tie Clemson and Florida State for the longest win streaks during the college football playoff era, which started in 2014. Okay, I think the large longest FBS streak in modern era history. And when I say modern era, I mean 1966 to now. I think there was a Toledo team that won 35, and uh, there, I believe there was another team that won 34. Might have been a Miami team that won 34. I'll have to double check that later in the show. Uh, but but what what George is doing right now is historic, and the fact that Kirby is doing this in an era where there's portal. And easy transfer rules. I mean, that's just that's just ridiculous. You know, the first coach ever to win the SEC regular season with three straight eight and O seasons. That's never happened. Spurrier didn't do that in the nineties. Saban didn't do that. George has done that. That's unprecedented, and I don't think it'll ever be replicated because I do believe the league is going to go to a nine game schedule. So when people talk about this divisional era when they started the divisions in 1992, and this is the last year of the divisions, Kirby Smart's going to be known as the only coach to have three straight eight and all seasons, Georgia Bulldogs, the only program to do that. So just some remarkable things going on. I want to get uh, Peter's take on that, uh, as well as some of the, the rumors out there around jobs. You know, uh, 
Arkansas, Texas A&M, Florida, all sorts of things to talk about. Just a variety of things. You know, just like it's like when you go to Ingles, there's all sorts of things in Ingles. There's a variety of products and the same consistent service every time. I want to take a moment right now and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. When we come back, it's SEC Network star Peter Burns. Did you know that Ingles sells more organics than any other store? Or that they run their own dairy? Or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else? Or that they have energy smart stores? Or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department? Or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program. And as promised, Peter Burns from the SEC Network and ESPN. Pete, thanks so much for joining us. Obviously, we have we are reaching the climax of the end of the regular season here. And man, it is so exciting. And what's happened in Georgia with Kirby Smart. And, and we knew coming into the year, yeah, Georgia's won back-to-back titles. Nobody else had done that in the playoff era. Now we're talking 28 straight wins. Now the next win he has ties him with Clemson and Florida State for the longest win streak of the CFP era. Uh, you cover this every week. You chronicle this. Can you put into perspective what Kirby's done? I mean, what are your thoughts on, on what uh, the Georgia head coach has been doing? Yeah, Mike, I mean, I talked about it on my show this morning, the fact of, like, you know, very rarely do you get a chance to live through history, and that's what we're having a chance to do right now, watching what Kirby has built in Athens, right? And and so, you know, it's the 28 straight victories, and they continue to roll, and it's just the way that they do it. You know, it's not as if, hey, all of a sudden there's some fluky stuff, and even during the Clemson run, Florida State run that they had as of recent, there was a couple of games you're like, man, they just don't look right, and they would inexplicably find a way to win a game. Georgia is only getting bigger, better, and stronger. And that's the scary part of what's happening right now. It's, you know, they had every chance to not look right in in Neyland, right? You're up at Tennessee. Everybody circled that game. You got Peyton Manning there. You got Dolly Parton singing Rocky Top. I mean, you've played three straight ranked opponents. And then all of a sudden, Tennessee scores from the first play. And you're like, it don't matter, buddy. Like, it does not matter. And, And I liken Georgia football right now to like a military trained sniper in which like the heartbeat never gets above like 65 or 70, no matter what happens, right? There's no panic. There's no false start penalties. There's no personal foul penalties. There's no, Hey, why we got 10 men on the field. We got to blow a timeout. It's just a matter of, Hey, they are an absolute weld oiled machine right now. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, Auburn thought they were pretty well oiled after a few wins, and, and I was buying. And I was buying it. And, I, and listen, I, I'm going to be at the Alabama Auburn game, and and Hugh Freeze, and I know it was just one game, and Jerry Kills a very good coach. But P, thirty-one to ten. I mean, th- did anybody see this coming? I mean, were you, how shocked were you? And what ramifications, if any, does this have on the Alabama Auburn game? So uh, there's one person that saw it. Jerry Kill, because he did it the year prior. Remember, remember, Jerry Kill was a 24-point underdog against Liberty when Hugh was there and beat them. And sure enough, he's like circled Hugh Freeze's name out on some kind of hit list and said, Hey, I'm I'm gonna beat you again. It was it was embarrassing. And and that was unfortunate because there's one thing to lose. And, and New Mexico State, while the brand is not big, Kill's done a really good job with that program, and there's some talented players. 
And so there's no fault in losing that game, although you always should win it. But the way you got dominated by over 200 yards, it's it's inexplicable to me. And so what's funny is I was walking into the SEC Network today and Roman Harper's walking in to do his show right afterwards. And he's like, can't believe Auburn did that. And I go, I know, man, I can't believe they, 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 they lost that game. And he goes, can't believe they lost on purpose just to kind of reel Alabama into some false sense of security. I go, listen, man, I love a good, I love a good CIA operation and, and some, uh, you know, uh, conspiracy theory, but I can't get that far uh, on it. It, it. it definitely puts a damper into the Iron Bowl because I thought had they won that game, then you're talking four or five wins in a row. The offense is looking better. Strange things happen to Jordan Hare. And I just don't see that being a close game. I think Vegas has it right with, with Bamba by three touchdowns as they're peaking. Wow. I don't remember what the spread was two years ago, but I was there for that game with Brian Harson and uh, probably about three touchdowns. And there we were going into the fourth quarter, and it's 10. I remember looking up the scores. It's really 10 to 0. Bryce Young really didn't score through three quarters. Auburn was really winning that game. 10 to 0 two years ago. So I agree. It certainly looks like Bama's rolling. The tide is on fire. They absolutely dominated UTJ. But there's just a part of me that wonders, you know, if Auburn can find a way to make it interesting, um, if they can carry that game into the fourth quarter. I don't know that I'm completely convinced that Alabama's all the way back. You know, I, I look at the Tennessee game a few weeks. I say, you know, Tennessee was beating them by two touchdowns in the first. We will see. But it is Alabama-Auburn. It's, it's a big game. It's an afternoon game. Uh, SEC Nation's going to be there this week. Look really uh, forward to that. So Alabama-Auburn is what it is. Uh, we've talked a lot about Georgia Georgia Tech uh, already. Uh, Billy Napier, l- listen, and, and I always preface it by saying this. He's a really good guy. He's a really nice guy because not all coaches in this business are really good, really nice guys. All right. But this is a really nice, you trust him to babysit your kids. It sure looked like Florida was going to get a really much needed win at Missouri. I mean, it really, but fourth and 17, Pete, you're, you're watching the game. What's, what's going through your mind when Missouri's going down the field? Well, you got to throw it to one guy, and it's Luther Burden the third, and he's another reason why that I think he's the most electric player in college football. That's not a quarterback. Okay, you can take Marvin Harrison, you can take all these other players. It don't matter, right? Like Luther Burden, when he gets the ball, he's going to do something special. And you know, I had Cody Schrader on my show over on Monday morning on SEC Network, and I said, "Take me through the play." And he goes, "Man, I knew I was going to be blocking." And he's like, "The the actual route on fourth and seventeen was supposed to go to Theo Weiss." But Luther Burden found a little bit of a seam and Brady Cook looked off at the OES and said, listen, there's there's Luther. And it was an impromptu sit where you can and Brady Cook will find you 17, 20 yards down the field. And he did it. I mean, uh, you know, Drink has done a great job. And, and, and for Florida fans, I almost say, take a look at what Drink did. Right. First year, everybody's like, who is this guy? I don't know who this head coach is, but I'm told he's pretty good overcoming from App State. And they're OK the first year. They're okay the second year. And then all of a sudden, he starts getting a little bit of momentum, and then it connects, okay? I think there's a very similar path that that Billy Napier has to take right now. Like, you can't hire a coach that's built on recruiting and not give him time to recruit and turn over this roster. So, I mean, it sucks because I thought Graham Mertz had – Graham Mertz been healthy – in the swamp on a on a Saturday night against FSU, now with Jordan Travis being out, I would have picked Florida to win this game. I think Max Brown is good, and I still think it's a close game. But man, that 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 really changed those two injuries. It's a shame we're going to see backup quarterback versus backup quarterback on Saturday night in the swamp. 
I'm sure Billy Napier agrees. Having lost four games in a row, staring down the barrel of a fifth straight loss, perhaps missing the postseason, recruiting rankings are dropping, players are flipping, and Florida boosters have to be looking around. I mean, and I'm not, and I don't think this is right. I mean, this is just, it's kind of like the weather. Like, I don't have to like it, but this is the reality. AM fired a guy with a 76, $77 million buyout. The buyout numbers are unbelievable. And Mississippi State fired some poor guy who didn't even get to coach one season, right? Which is just, to me, completely, you know, and if you're Florida, you're, you're kind of in the middle here. You're talking about a $33 million buyout. You're talking about a second season. Is this really the guy that's going to take you into the future? All the other pieces are in place. The money's there, stadium improvement. But is this the guy that you're going all in? And more importantly, will the recruits stick with him? And I guess that remains to be seen. You brought up that Florida State game, Peter. That is so big. If they were to beat Florida State, I, I don't want to say everything would be forgiven, but I think it would breathe life. I think Billy Napier is coming back, but I do think there might be a little bit of doubt if he loses that game. What say you? Well, I, I, A, I don't think so. I think that he's there for at least another year um, because I think Scott Strickland is is – he's loyal, you know, and I think that he's, he's can't say, all right, I already got to jettison this out. Like when Chad Morris was up at, at Arkansas, you could tell from day one, that wasn't going to work out. And for Billy Napier, even though some of those guys are flipping right now, let's listen, like give him an opportunity to re-recruit new guys or find, go into the transfer portal. Right. Like, you know, as long as they, you know, they got DJ Lagway coming. And I think that's the guy that they're really excited about coming forward. As long as he commit, commits and stays to be a Florida Gator, which is no reason why to think he's not, then everything else will fall into place for Billy Napier. But um, yeah, I mean, listen, you don't want to go out there at home in the swamp with a backup quarterback FSU and lose by 30. You sure as hell don't want to do that. Um, but I don't think that that'll happen. I think they have a damn good shot of upsetting FSU. And trust me, there's no bigger fans right now than not only Alabama, but even Georgia fans should be pulling for Florida because, hey, if you got somehow you get into Atlanta and you lose a game 31-28 on a last-second field goal to a good Bama squad, now you're going to start resume comparing yourself to everybody, and Georgia's resume is going to be pretty damn good, and their only loss will have come in the SEC championship game. I still don't think they lose that game, but uh, it, it doesn't help to have little backup insurance plans at all. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll take a look at that CFP picture here in just a second. We mentioned a a moment ago, uh, news coming out now reports that Sam Pittman, apparently his job's going to be fine. I mean, I, I I think I applaud that. I think we all love Sam Pittman. There's there's not many coaches that are this universally popular and beloved. And look, the SEC didn't do this guy any favor with some of the schedules he's been dealt. I mean, I just look at it, it's just laughable. Now, yes, they lost against BYU. That was not a good loss, and, and neither was a four-point loss to Mississippi State. But they did go in the swamp and get a win, and and Sam did have some injuries to deal with. So I would ask you about Sam Pittman, uh, you know, what you see in his future at Arkansas, and what's a realistic expectation, right? And then, two, uh, who's on the A&M board, Peter? You you know a lot about Texas A&M. Your thoughts on those two topics? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, for Sam, I think it's a matter of, hey, you, you went with your, your old trusty, let's knock off the dust of Dan Enos and see if that works, and that wasn't when they replaced Ryle. So, I mean – He's on. He, I would imagine that he probably went to them and said, "Listen, give me another year. Give me a bunch of money to hire an offensive coordinator. I'll fix the offensive line, and, and we'll and we'll get it going." Um, on the flip side of it, for A and M, the the an easy name is Mike Elko, right? right? Like he's the former defensive coordinator there. In fact, I remember Jimbo Fisher telling me 
Uh, I go, why did you hire Mike Elko? Like y'all didn't have a relationship. And he goes, well, I hired Mike Elko because when I was in the ACC, I could, I could beat every single team except for Mike Elko's defense. So I was like, I better just hire this guy. And so <laughs> it, and, and it worked out well and Elko's doing a good job at Duke. The issue is, is I think A&M is a unique spot in which they need to claim the state of Texas. And what I mean by that is Texas football is a national brand. The Longhorns are east, west coast, north, south. You know Texas Longhorns are one of the strongest brands revenue-wise. I think A&M needs to plant their flag in the Lone Star State and go, everything that's truly Texas is here, okay? Not in Austin, not in the state capital, but in College Station. And that means hiring a guy at UTSA in San Antonio in, 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 in Jeff Trailer. I've been banging that drum since the day that they made the move from Jimbo Fisher. I think that he is a guy that has done great jobs with the with the Roadrunners down there and basically with no, no money, right? No recruiting money, no NIL collective, all that type stuff. And he has absolutely cooked a great meal for, for UTSA. I think that he would crush that job over at AM. And people will go, oh, he's not a big name. And I'm like, dude, you don't need a name if you're AM. You are the name. Texas A&M football is the name, right? They're the restaurant that is sitting at the, at the at the prime property because they got a great stadium. They have a collective. They got the boosters. They got the fan base. And they're an uncovered gym. You just need the right chef to take over that restaurant and cook a damn meal. Stop worrying about if it's Emerald or some, you know, Bobby Flay. Like, get the right guy. And I think that right guy is Jeff Trailer at UTSA. Yeah, great call. You know, you don't often hear about uh, interviews being leaked. Uh, it's kind of struck me as a controlled leak to get a little reaction. Uh, maybe maybe test the waters a little bit. I want to ask you about these rivalry games. Like, you know, Georgia plays Georgia Tech, and Louisville plays Kentucky, and Florida plays Florida State. And, and Peter, I get it. I, I, I like traditions. I like rivalry games. But these games kind of came to be before there was an SEC championship game, before there was an ACC. I just don't know if I feel like it's practical to be playing a game like this, non-conference. Obviously, Alabama Auburn can't control it. They're both league game. But yeah. why are you playing these games at the end of the year instead of maybe at the beginning of the year? And yeah, I guess I would have that it, out there. It, because it, what it is is an opportunity to save your season, right? Like you, you go back and look at Kentucky um, and, and what Kentucky has dealt with, and they've had a horrible season. But if they beat Louisville, all of a sudden that – changes things right south carolina same thing hey man it hasn't been a great year everybody's been banged up you beat clemson you're going to be talking about the year that you end up beating clemson right same thing with florida and florida state so to me i love the fact that we have these as as kind of a hey all right this is like the bonus ball in the three-point shooting contest it's like all right well you didn't make the other ones but if you do this one everything kind of changes and it flips too you know like you can have a great season, but if you lose that rivalry game, it could cost your ass as well, too. So, pardon me, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but I don't think that you, was you that are. Bad. You are. It was uh, such a fantastic analogy. You can say whatever you want. That was, yeah, I, yeah. That's the best argument that I have ever. I got to tell you, I've been I've been saying this for years and years and years, and you just came up with the perfect argument for why because you can save your season. I guess I just had the flashback of watching DeAndre Swift get his shoulder separated by some you know human missile for tech. He's got nothing to lose. Season's over. George Pickens getting in some mindless fight. Now he's you know he's thrown out for the first. It can happen in any game. It just seems like in rivalry games that there's more intensity. And to your point, now Tech's got something. They're going to a bowl game. Don't think anybody's going to be uh, looking to get kicked out. Before I let you go, want you to look ahead and and you know coaches you know Kirby and Nick would not approve of us doing this but I want you to look ahead of at the Alabama 
Georgia game, some initial thoughts, and then go ahead and finish out your thought on that college football playoff picture. You just mentioned everybody should be rooting for Florida State to lose because if an undefeated Florida State is sitting there, it's going to be real hard for the committee to put any one loss team in ahead of them. Yeah, and it's the same thing with Texas as well, too. So you're kind of – if you're a Georgia fan or Alabama fan, you still got a chance. You're pulling for Texas Tech or whoever plays in the in the, in the the Big 12 championship, and you're probably pulling right now for Louisville in the ACC championship game or, or Florida. But going back to, to Atlanta, um, listen, I ain't picking against Georgia until they lose a game. Like, I don't care if it's 20 – the rest of the season. I don't care, Mike, if we're talking 2025. I don't care if it's 2031. Until Georgia shows me that they're going to lose a football game, I am picking the Georgia Bulldogs against Ohio State, against Michigan, against Alabama, against I don't care who you have, against the 95 uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers or, or the Dallas Cowboys right now. I'm picking Georgia because in Kirby I trust until you prove me that you can't get it done. And – now, I will say this. I think it's a closer game than we would have thought midway through the season because if you look at where Georgia's had some issues, uh, we saw Peyton Thorne hit the outside zone read run pretty good on him. That gave him some issues. Brady Cook moved the pocket extremely well for Missouri um, to a certain extent. That's why these dual quarterback, dual threat quarterbacks give them a little bit of pressure. But at the end of the day, man, it's still Georgia's world. And we're all just paying rent in it in the college football landscape. No doubt, he's Peter Burns, and in Peter we trust. We hear him on SiriusXM Radio. We see him on ESPN. We see him on the SEC Network. Peter, love your work. Thank you so much for your time today on Dog Nation. Take this time for our sponsor. We'll be right back to wrap it up. Anytime heating, cooling, and plumbing. Our family has been making sure Georgia fans and their families are comfortable for over 20 years. Let us do the same for yours. Anytime. Service repairs and replacement with trained systems. Our trained comfort specialists are carefully selected to visit your home and offer you a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Anytime offers an annual three-visit comfort plan starting at just $155. Visit anytimehvac.com for details. Anytime. Large enough to take care of of your heating, cooling, and plumbing, but small enough to care. Well, welcome back, and uh, can't thank Peter Burns enough. He was fantastic. In fact, he was so good. Him and I just kept talking, and he said some really strong things about Kirby Smart, and I said, oh, man, I, I should ask you that on air, and he said, we're still taping. Go ahead and go with it. You know what? We're going to go ahead and go with it. I'm a firm believer that if you told me who's going to have more national championships underneath their belt, Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, I would absolutely put my money on Kirby Smart. So quite a prediction from Peter Burns. And, and let the record show that Peter Burns is the first major media figure, national media figure, certainly, to make that prediction. Very, very powerful words from Peter Burns. I want to talk about some, some hot and cold elements, right? No, no pun intended. But every week I come out of college football and I kind of have this idea of, you know, man, that team or that player or that said, boy, that looks hot. Right. And then there's other, you're like, oh, man, that is so bad. You know, I'm watching the end of Florida, Missouri and Florida lose again. I'm like, oh, that is so bad. That plane ride back to Gainesville is going to take forever. So I want to talk about these hot and cold elements. So let me start with hot. This is hot in a different way. I don't know if this is a good way. Did you see that Michigan fans are talking? about boycotting game day 
How lame is this? Your program is going to be on national television. It's going to be featureized. Your beautiful Ann Arbor campus. Everybody's going to brag about the global institution that Michigan is. Listen, I grew up in the Great Lakes State. I know all about Michigan. I like the wing helmets. We talk uniforms on, on the Kaylee Manziel Happy Hour show. I identified the winged helmet as a favorite. I don't have anything against Michigan. I went to Michigan State, but that doesn't mean I hate Michigan because I don't. It's a good school. It's a good brand. So why are they talking about doing this? Well, it's this whole silliness over the spy incident or the alleged incident, which I think we all saw the guy on video. It did look like he was stealing signs, right? So what Michigan said, didn't, you know, Coach Harbaugh didn't have anything, didn't know anything about this. They did not like uh, the way this story was, was handled and covered. And so they're going to be mad. So just to catch you up, Jim Harbaugh, will not coach against Ohio State. That will be the third game of the three-game suspension that he got from the league for a sportsmanship violation. Michigan was going to take out, was going to try to take out this uh, uh, temporary restraining order to stop this action from taking, but I think the Big Ten basically said, hey, we got some information, we got some proof here, and all of a sudden Michigan's like, oh, okay. Uh, so their official statement was, uh, Coach Harbaugh, with the university's support, decided to accept this sanction to return the focus to our student athletes and their performance on the field. That's what they said, right? Okay, yeah. in other words, just get it over with. Because if you hadn't, the Big Ten or the NCAA was going to keep digging. So the trade-off is the Big Ten says, all right, they're going to end the investigation into the Michigan uh, on the in-person scouting mat matter. And this would seem to mean um, that maybe Michigan won't have any more penalties. Maybe this, this just ends it. It's like, Michigan, take your punishment, have Harbaugh sit out, and everybody moves on. Listen, that's what the Big Ten wants. The Big Ten doesn't want to punish Michigan. Michigan's a moneymaker. They need Michigan. They need Michigan in the playoff. They need that revenue that the league splits. They need Michigan on TV. They need Michigan to be good because Michigan is a global brand, and people will tune in just to watch Michigan. So the Big Ten's kind of like, look, help us help you. Just take this penalty, and, and this investigation can end. So the whole thing to me was was uh, a black eye for Michigan. I, I didn't think it was a good look for Jim Harbaugh. I don't think anybody outside of Michigan thinks that Jim Harbaugh or the University of Michigan was a victim here. I, I think they're the only ones that think that. And uh, they, they, in a way, they, they've kind of turned Georgia into like the good guy here. Like when jo if Georgia should play Michigan, the nation's going to be rooting for Georgia. Michigan right now has uh, the bad guy hat on. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Also hot. We, we talked about it earlier. Georgia football. I mean, it just to me, it can't get any hotter. I, these guys, the way they came back on Tennessee – uh, was just phenomenal. The way they responded to adversity, the way Kirby Smart manages the 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 coaching, uh, the dialed in approach that him and Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp, these guys that have been friends for life, these guys work together incredibly well. I mean, Kirby Smart and Mike Bobo. I'm thinking like Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock here. I mean, there, there's some chemistry going on here, right? I mean, this is. I mean, Bobo, his offense has responded every time Kirby's defense and not, you know, Kirby's still kind of unofficially over that deep, you know, you know, the head coach knows what's going on defensively and he's not like Saban. He's not going to try to pass it off on somebody else. Kirby knows he's in the middle of it with, with Will and Schumann. And those guys have given up five opening drive touchdowns and Bobo's offense 
has responded. And, and you just, you got to like that for Mike Bobo. There was a lot of people that doubted him. And um, I don't think he's doing all this to prove anybody wrong. He's doing this because he's a pro and this is what he does. But hopefully Georgia fans have an appreciation for Mike, regardless of what happens the rest of the year. I think he's done a tremendous job. Let's talk about warm. Right now, I think Florida State's playoff hopes are just kind of warm. They're not hot anymore. They started the year on fire. Florida State, remember that second half against LSU? We all, oh, my gosh, Florida State. Wow, these guys are really good. Then they went into Clemson and won at Clemson back when we thought Clemson was still really good. And you said, oh, my gosh, Florida State, these guys are. Well, now Florida State has lost their quarterback, Jordan Travis, for the remess, remainder of the season. He's not going to be there when the Seminoles play in the Swamp against the Florida Gators this week. He's not going to be there. Well, he may be there. He's not going to be in the game when the Seminoles play against Louisville in the ACC championship game against Jeff Brom's Cardinals, who, by the way, play Kentucky to finish their season at home this week. Hard to believe Louisville's only lost one game. I don't think Louisville has any chance to get in the playoff. A one-loss Louisville's not passing a one-loss Oregon or a one-loss Texas, but they sure can mess it up for the Florida State Seminoles, and that's why Florida State has gone from being one of the hottest programs in the nation. I'm just going to keep them at warm. They're still undefeated. You can't say an undefeated team is cold. I can say the Florida Gators are cold. We talked about this earlier. The Gators, oh, my gosh, kick a field goal. Looks like they're going to get a big win over Missouri. Maybe Missouri's having that hangover game after beating Tennessee, getting revenge, and here comes Florida. But Graham Mertz gets knocked out of the game. Doesn't matter. Gators kick the field goal, they're up, and they get Missouri into a fourth and 17 on the final drive, and Missouri converts. You're going, oh, my gosh, this is so bad for Florida, so bad. Four losses in a row now for the Gators. If the Gators lose to Florida State, that's five losses in a row and no bowl game. Now, there's different opinions on whether or not Billy Napier would be fired, and I think they probably coincide with different opinions on whether the athletic director could be in trouble with five consecutive losses. Now, do they stick with him and give him a chance to build? It's been two years. Do they really believe that Billy Napier is the guy? That's for Florida fans to figure out. I know this. I think he's a really nice guy. And, and that's kind of where I always stand on this. I, I know what I think would probably happen. Um, in this day and age, I see coaches fired for far less. Uh, I think ultimately it depends on the recruiting class. It's splintered somewhat. Two guys have flipped in the last couple of weeks. If that Florida recruiting class continues to splinter, I don't think Florida's got a choice. But if he can hold that recruiting class together, maybe he gets another year. And, and I'm, I'm fine with that because, like I said, Billy Napier is a nice guy. I don't root for anybody to be fired and lose their jobs. That's not fun for me as a reporter. I don't like talking about it. Uh, it's kind of the ugly side of football. There's a lot of riches, um, but there's a lot of families. And when, when uh, coaches lose jobs, that affects families. I've seen it firsthand, and it's not pretty. Uh, Colds to the cold, freezing cold, USC football. I mean, Lincoln Riley was supposed to be all that in a bag of chips. Remember that high contract he had? At one point, I think he was the highest paid coach in college football. And then Kirby was for a minute. And then as soon as Nick found out, he made sure that, you know, he he, he had to make more than Kirby. Um, but but this guy, they have dropped to seven and five. Three losses in a row. Five losses in the last six games. Caleb Williams. Now, Caleb Williams is a talented guy. Kirby tried to get him at Georgia, remember? He tried to get him here. After Georgia won their first national title, they tried to get Caleb Williams, um, which Stetson Bennett was understandably not happy about. 
Uh, but Caleb Williams, 31 of 42 passing for 384 yards and a touchdown. But he was also sacked four times in that game. There's got to be a lot of frustration out there in Los Angeles. Does anything happen to Lincoln Riley? I don't know. You got to think Caleb Williams is still going to be the number one overall pick, but you got to have questions about this guy now. I mean, I I do. I, I mean, does he have franchise quarterback talent? Absolutely. But what about the intangibles? Are intangibles enough to cancel out a number one talent? I don't know. Time will tell. Um, time will tell. I, I will say this. Uh, I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent here. Speaking of quarterbacks um, that you know finished college on kind of a dour note. You know, C.J. Stroud last year when we were doing our interviews and, and I was doing my interviews with the Ohio State guys before the Georgia game, C.J. was kind of a quiet guy, very grounded. He didn't he didn't seem overconfident or cocky. He just seemed very determined. And I thought to myself, here's a guy that never beat Michigan in his two starts. Here's a guy who leaves Ohio State without a Big Ten title. Here's a guy, you know, and who ultimately lost to Georgia despite playing – one of the most amazing games I've ever seen a quarterback play. And I felt bad for this guy. And if you know the story, you know his father, um, and kind of out of the picture. And he goes to the Houston Texans, and I'm like, oh, man, that is so sad. <laughs> because he had this tough college career, and now he's going to the Houston Texans. You know what? He's doing fantastic. So happy for C.J. Stroud. Good for you, C.J. Stroud. Josh Dobbs, guy covered at Tennessee. He was a, a journeyman backup with five, six teams. Finally gets a shot. Happy to see these guys have success. So Caleb Williams, it can still turn around. A year from now, he could be in the NFL doing great things. You just want to see how the attitude goes, right? You want to see the charisma. But in C.J. Stroud and Josh Dobbs, two former guys that I cover at different times, different situations, good to see these guys having success. Another guy I covered for one year, he's out there at USC, about Barry Alexander. You know, Barry Alexander had six tackles in this game, right? What would Barry Alexander be doing if he was at Georgia right now? I don't think Georgia would have lost any more games. They haven't lost any. I think if Barry was here, they probably would have kept, they would have won all the games they've already won. I think he would have been getting everything that he would have wanted. I think Barry Alexander becomes a cautionary tale for Georgia players that aren't getting the snaps that they want or aren't getting the snaps that they feel like they need. You know, you can go out here and make more money and maybe get more exposure. Well, you can, but when it's next November and your team is 7-5 and five and Georgia is 11-0, and 0, I, I think you're going to wonder about that decision. I think Barry Alexander has to wonder. I wonder where Barry Alexander will be next year. And, and here's the thing you need to know. He's not a bad guy. When, when we talk with some of the Georgia players, they talked about Bear being a good leader, putting him under wing, hardworking guy, right? But I think sometimes, you know, players get around other people and their interests and their priorities may not be the same. Everybody has a different idea of what they want. Now, I'm not saying it can't work out. Jermaine Johnson transferred from Georgia and went to Florida State, and I think he was like the ACC Defensive Player of the Year and got drafted in the first round. You know, good good for me, Jermaine Johnson, right? He, he didn't get a national championship, but he got that individual accolades that he needs. So everybody is different in what they want to get out of it, and they have the right to choose. Fans shouldn't be upset. Let players choose. Let families choose what's best. The only point I'm making is, is when that really talented guy comes to Kirby Smart next year or this year or this month and says, Coach, I just don't know about being a second teamer next year. I really feel like I ought to start. I can go over here and start, and they'll pay me X money. And Kirby can sit back and say, well, 
you know, here's what could happen to you. You may go out there and start, you may get more money, but is that really what you want? Is that situation what you want? So there's always something to be learned from these situations. We're still kind of in the infancy of the NIL and transfer portals and players are seeing how this is playing out. Uh, I think Kirby Smart's done an unbelievable job with roster management, uh, with development and retention. And, um, you know, he, the dogs just continue to make a case for why you want to stick with them and pay your dues. And, and eventually your time will come, right? I think I think we saw that with Dylan Bell. You know, didn't, I don't think he caught a pass the week before. This last week against Tennessee, he's unbelievable. He's like an MVP. You know, I mean, if Dylan Bell comes back for next year, which I think he will, I think that's a guy you kind of circle and go, oh, this could be a, a, a this guy could be a Heisman kind of guy, right? Running back, receiver, kick return. He's explosive. I mean, just saying, you know, he fits the parameters. Of, of that kind of guy that can do it all, or at least a preseason all-SEC guy. Certainly, he'll be a guy that will be put in positions to make all sorts of plays. So a lot of interesting concepts and thoughts. Um, glad you joined me for the show. Had a lot of fun. Uh, discussed a lot of different things. Um, Peter Burns is phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of him, too. I love opportunities I have to do his show on the SEC Network. He's just a fantastic uh, host. And now you also see his analysis is incredible. And I hope you guys en enjoyed Peter as well. If you've got any comments on the show, any thoughts, any suggestions, please feel free. Write them in the comments section. Uh, if you're on Facebook watching this or on YouTube, I go back. I love to read these comments. I appreciate all the uh, input that you all give me. I want to thank my producer, uh, Kaylee Manzel. Great job tonight, Kaylee. Really appreciate your help, uh, as well as thank Peter Burns for his appearance on the show. I'd like to thank our sponsors and tell all y'all to have a great week. Don't forget, every day, 10 a.m., Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams right here. Jeff Sintel, Wednesday night before the hedges. We talked about Kaylee Manzel Thursday night. She does the happy hour show um, with Marlowe's. And then Saturday, our pregame show, sponsored by Jittery Joe's. Connor Riley, Sunday nights, Connor in coverage. Have a great week, everybody.